All right, I want you to imagine that you're getting out of your car in the woods, uh, just in maybe Smoky Mountain National Park, and you've got a, a bottle of ice water there and lunch waiting for you when you get back. And you go for a long hike, and uh, you know, you're sweating, and your, your, your pulse is, has, uh, has doubled, and you're feeling tired. You make your way all the way up to the top of the ridge, and you look in your backpack, and you forgot your water bottle. And so uh, you know, your, your throat is, is dry. You wish you had brought it with you. You make your way all the way back down to, uh, to your car, and you open up the back, and there it is, um, that ice-cold water, right next to a bag of Lay's potato chips. And your mouth starts to water. And you open up the potato chips, and you start to eat the potato chips. And you know what they say about Lay's potato chips, right? You can't eat just one, right? Frederick Buechner says that lust, lust is like a thirsty person craving salt. You need water. You're thirsty. But you eat the chips. This morning, we're going to take a look. Now, there's a lot of, uh, as soon as I even say that four-letter word, right? There's a lot of misgiving about where we're going this morning. <laughs> there should be. No, it's going to be okay. Um, but there's a lot of shame around this topic of temptation and how to deal with lust. And I just want you to be at ease. This is, a, this is the no shame zone this morning. We're going to take a direct look, not, not only at temptation, but what is it? What is that bottle of ice water? That is the alternative. What, what is it that is the compelling vision that, that turns our gaze and our desires from something less than to something more than? What is the more than vision that helps us deal with temptation? And the answer, I think we're going to see from 1 Thessalonians 4, is that there's a compelling vision, that water, that that ice water that refreshes your thirst, what refreshes the soul, that compelling vision is holiness. Holiness. Not to check out from the world, but, but to embrace all of God's gifts in the way that he designed us to embrace them. From the word of God, 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 1 through 8. Would you open your Bibles, follow along on the screens, hear God's word this morning. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust 
like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this manner. Because the Lord is an avenger in these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us to impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. May God bless us through this, his holy word. Let's pray. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, help us to embrace the strength of your call to holiness. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, like, like your mouth watering for those chips, you know, it's really hard to concentrate when someone's standing on your toe, isn't it? I mean, if somebody, if you're hurt or you're hungry, it's hard to do the, you know, the quadratic formula, right? Try that. You know, you're, you've broken your arm and, um, and, and you're asked to do some sort of, you know, you know thought work or some, some sort of imaginative or creative work. It's hard until you deal with that. Well, in the same way, our bodies are powerful. They, they have messages to us. And that's, that's been the gist of this, this whole series, Riding Elephants, is to recognize that, that our bodies have a, have a message and an influence over our thinking. Our bodies have a message and an influence over our thinking. So how do we deal with that? How do we deal with it especially when, when the message, when the desire is so physically manifested, is it just a matter of a spiritual fix for a physical problem? Is that what we're talking about? Is that what turning from temptation to holiness? Is that just turning from a physical, powerful message to something that somehow uh, seems a little bit ethereal? On the contrary. When When Jesus talks in the Sermon on the Mount about how our imaginations, you know, it, are, are part of, of our obedience to God. That, that it's not just create, c- committing an act like David, we, we heard earlier, like David with Bathsheba. It's not just committing the act, but that in your imagination, if you have committed that act in your imagination, you have, it, it's like you've done it, is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, your imagination is powerful. There's power there. And so this morning, what we're being called to is, is to embrace a vision of holiness in its strength that, that we're captivated by creation in the way that God designed us to be captivated by it. Is that making sense? That, I'm trying to orient you to where we're going. This is, now I'm going to explain it, so I'm, I'm going to say it one more time. It's not just saying, okay, just, just pray... Now, prayer, prayer is a big part of this, of course. And God does powerful things and physical things through, through prayer. And God can heal people through prayer. But the call this morning is to recognize that, that at every layer of life, you're spiritual. That it's not just turning from the physical to something that's not physical and, and somehow less real. That Jesus is saying, no, ultimate reality is, is more real then the Lay's potato chips and, and, and then the, 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 the person standing on your toe. That, that through the right captivating vision, we can have strength 
over our temptations. So let's take a look at how, how we're designed to live. That, that desires have a design. And, and, to, and, and to recognize that, that we're not just letting go of something or just trying to stop thinking about something. You're not just turning away. You're not just sanctified or set apart from something, but you're set apart for something. What is it that we're set apart for? We're set apart for this great vision of the way that God designed us to live. First, he designed us to connect with him. Moment to moment, day to day, week to week, month to month, year to year, God designed us to connect with him. Not to disconnect and to be all on our own and to say, well, I've just got sort of this thing on the periphery called my prayer life. And when I feel tempted, I'm just going to sort of, you know, see, sort of turn those knobs a little bit. No, God, God designed us to connect with him. He designed us. Listen to that. Design. You're made by God, for God. You're made to live in fellowship with him, not to disconnect, not to be an island, not to just... So, but, so how do we do that? Well, it's to recognize that every gift, all these gifts, have a giver. Not to say, well, the gifts, we, we just have to turn our eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely, strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I, I don't believe that. I love that song, and I've sung it a hundred times. But the idea here is, is not that, that God has made the world, and we're supposed to escape it. Christianity isn't escapism. It's to recognize that God is a giver of those things, is a giver of good gifts, and that we're to give thanks for him. That's how, that's how we please him. Verse 1, we instructed you how to live in order to in order to please God. Why did he instruct them? In order to please God. How did he instruct them? To recognize that God is a giver. That, that in this call to holiness, it's not a call to check out. It's not a call to escape. It's not a call to some sort of wispy uh, world that's disconnected from your life. And from all of its sensations, but to embrace it and to embrace it in the way that we're designed to embrace it. That moment to moment, we're giving thanks for that cup of coffee and all of its caramel notes and, and all of its complexity, you know? That we're giving thanks for. For the early moments and the early hours when the light is beginning to break forth through the trees. And the particular yellowy green of early morning that, that, that casts a glow on your backyard. To, to, to connect with God, in other words, is not to, to say no to all those things. It's to embrace them as gifts from God. That's the connection. To live grateful. You know, Beth and I, my wife Beth and I were, uh, when we were traveling over the summertime here, we listened to a book called Dopamine Nation by Anna Lemke. Have you all seen this book, Dopamine Nation? You know what dopamine is? It's, it's, the, it's a neurotransmitter. It's a, it's a chemical in your brain or it's a, it's a reaction or electrical reaction in your brain w w across your synapse that, that makes you feel pleasure. That's dopamine. 
Dopamine is, is a pleasure center. It's, a, it, it's your brain saying, this feels good. And the, the premise of this book, the thesis of this book is that in an affluent, abundant culture and age that we're in, we can hit that dopamine button <laughs> in all kinds of ways that most of human history nobody was able to do. And we're addicts, addicts. We're addicted to dopamine. And we take shortcuts. And she, she describes it as a scale. That, that if you, you know, pleasure and pain are on a scale. And if you're just constantly trying to make the pleasure thing tip, you know, that, that, that really your mind wants to be in balance. Now, I, I don't fully understand all this, but I, I get this part of it. That, that the more that you can control your own pleasure, the less, the less that you're receiving life from God, to take matters in your own hands and to manipulate your mind. Well, that's, that's where we find ourselves these days as addicts. This is what she says. Here's a quotation. She says, living in this modern age is very challenging. We're now having to cope with how do I live in a world in which everything is provided? And if I consume too much of it, which my reflexes compel me to do, think of the Lay's potato chips, I'm going to be even more unhappy, unhappy. See, God made our bodies. He made them to equalize. He made them to heal themselves. And so if, if you're just sort of manipulating your own mind, manipulating your body in such a way, it's going to try to find some balance. And there are going to be consequences built in built into not living according to our design. And how are we designed? What's the point, this first point? A life pleasing to God. A life where we're receiving the gifts from him. Receiving means what? What does it mean? It means that God gives them. How do you please God? By being instructed. How are you, are you instructed? By understanding that all good gifts come from God. You see? And so to live day to day, moment to moment, not trying to escape the physical not trying to deny the physical, but recognize that when you're grateful, when you understand that these gifts come from God, you're, you're empowered. There's an energy there. There's a vision to your life. There's an energy to pursue and to receive those gifts according to the way that they were designed to be cherished and enjoyed. So that's point one. Connect with God. Don't disconnect. Don't, don't, don't hit that pleasure button, that pleasure scale, manipulating yourself and looking for the next thrill and the next addictive dopamine hit. But to receive, to please God, to live as a receiver, a grateful receiver of all his good gifts. But second, we're designed not just to live in response to God, right? Like he's... I mean, behind all this is the cross and the gospel. Like, you, you, you don't have to earn your salvation. All of that is behind it. So we're in the position to be able to just simply be, live thankfully, to live pleasing him, to live grateful. And, and we end up, that's what we end up doing. We end up developing the strength of holiness to, to please him. But not only that, then you develop the strength to control yourself. Now, Elizabeth was talking about the fruits of the Spirit and the one that comes at the very end. After you developed all the others, right? is self-control. Isn't it true? That's the last one kind of to develop is self-control. 
verse, verse four, it says, control your body as opposed to, and then it contrasts this to the end of this verse. It says, as opposed to the passionate lust of the pagans, of the pagan world that you're living in. Control, self-control, is over against just the, the, the passionate lusts of the, the reigning cultural milieu that they're living in at the time. It's to control and not be controlled. How? How do you develop that self-control? Well, all good gifts in its time. It's to trust, you know? I mean, our bodies develop pretty young, long before most people get married, you know? I thought of all kinds of analogies to this, but they all ended up being a little bit too graphic, so forget it. Um, but you know, I mean, you know, it's, it, it, it's kind of like, well, I, so, see, I, I always want to go to the metaphor and try to help you understand what I'm talking about. You understand what I'm talking about. Your bodies develop, your pleasure centers develop, your, 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 your hungers develop before that they can be expressed. So what's God doing? Well, maybe, maybe he's created you as a creature for eternity and not just for the next, you know, five years of your life while you wait it out. Next, maybe 10 years of your life. And to be able to develop the strength of character, of self-control, is an opportunity, not, not torture, not to, not to say, here, you know, here are the keys to the car. Here I go again. Here are the keys to the car, but you can't drive it yet. You know what I'm saying? Of course you know what I'm saying. It's difficult. I understand. But developing self-control is to trust that all good gifts in their time that God engineers our circumstances, that, that we in trusting him, that he knows our needs, knows our wants, knows our desires. When we trust him in those things, when we continue to give them over to, them, to him and trust that, that we don't have to take things out of order. And when we don't, he honors that and he develops in you a strength. And that's the strength of what? Of holiness. Holiness is a strength. You see? Otherwise, what we're doing is we're, we're taping matters in our own hands and we're saying, I'm just, going to, uh, I'm just going to look for instant gratification instead of delayed gratification. Do, do you know how to trap a monkey? This is, this is an analogy to what I'm talking about. Do, do you know how to trap a monkey? Have you ever heard of how to trap a monkey? You, you don't have to do this very often, do you? I mean, maybe the squirrels in your backyard are a problem, but not so much monkeys. But you can trap a monkey by hollowing out a gourd and putting a little treat inside and, and chaining that gourd to a tree and putting a, 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 a hole in that gourd so the monkey smells the treat inside the, the gourd, right? Reaches in, grabs the treat, but then can't get his fist out because he's got his hand full of treat, Right? Well, this is us on dopamine, right? <laughs> this is us hitting the dopamine button over and over again. It's like, I can't let it go. I can't get rid of this. I've, I've taken matters uh, of pleasure uh, into my own hands. God, you're taking too long to, you know, to, to, um, to get me the thing that I want. And so I'm, I'm going to make it work for me apart from you. You know, in this culture that, 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 that Paul was writing to in the Thessalonian church, there was a lot of persecution, and, and part of it was that this was a peculiar people. The, one of the peculiar things about, uh, about uh, Jesus' communities, about the church, the early church, was that they were weird. I mean, they were, they were peculiar people. They were resident aliens. They were living in a way that, that did delay gratification, and that was strange. I mean, this is an age, I don't want to get too graphic, I and mean, we do have young years here, but... Um, 
But this was an age where human sexuality was expressed in every imaginable way, and all of that was normal. And, and long before Freud said, don't, don't deny anything to yourself, long before that, there, were, uh, there, were, uh, there was a culture, a Roman, Greco-Roman culture of, of, of sexual perversity. That was normal, normal. What was weird, what was weird was to commit to a man-woman monogamous lifetime relationship. It was challenging, especially because, especially because just in simply living this way, you begin to provide commentary on what's normal around you. You see? You've, you've experienced that before. You're not trying to judge anybody. You're not, you're not trying to put anybody down. You're not trying to say, I'm better than somebody else. And we're not here this morning to reinforce our morals just to say, well, we're better than people, and then we're going to go home and feel good about ourselves. No, what we're trying to develop is the strength of self-control so that we can have a sense of compassion for the perversity that's becoming normal again around us. It should break our hearts. It should break our hearts that people around us are pursuing courses that are not according to the design. And instead of dealing with the pain of developing the strength of self-control, we give ourselves over to it, and then we want to normalize it. That's pretty much what's going on, isn't it? Let me say that again. This is exactly what's going on. Instead of dealing with the pain of developing the strength of self-control, we give ourselves over to it, and then we want everybody else to enter into our own misery by saying, well, this is normal. And, and, and anybody who's living in a way that, that pursues the strength of holiness, well, they're just sanctimonious and, and we're going to call them names. That's exactly what was going on in 1 Thessalonians. But I don't want you to think of an us and them in all this. I want you to think that God has designed every human being on earth to enjoy his good gifts the way he's, he, he's intended. And that people, it's never too late for them to develop the kind of self-control that will allow them to return to a sense of dignity. I remember uh, this friend of mine, when he and his wife were getting married, they were, you know, moved to the big city and, you know, um, you know just, it was height of the hookup culture. Um, let me just say that again, so... Uh, you understand what I say. The height of the hookup culture. They moved into this, and they were living separately, and they were going to get married. And uh, they each told me separately how at their places of work, they, their, their friends, the people they were working with, their colleagues, thought they were very strange. Why aren't you all living together? And, um, you know, they, they tried not to sort of rub it in or try to, try to shame anybody or anything like that. They, they just tried to live their life, and as a result, they became a witness that there's something more here that can be embraced, controlled, not to be controlled, not to stick your hand in and make things work for yourself. It, it, it was a monkey trap, and to be trapped by that, but to develop self-control. Finally, this, you know, we're, we're designed in a certain way to receive God's good gifts, connected to God, yes, to connect to Him through our thanksgiving, our gratitude, to develop the strength of holiness, that is self-control, over against what you're seeing, normalizing of just loss of self-control. And finally this, though, to enjoy God in the gifts. Let me say that again. 
to enjoy God in the gifts. Now, John, John Piper is getting a lot of static these days, but uh, I do love this, this quotation that meant a lot to me, even from, from college when I read his book, Desiring God. He said, God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in him. Now, again, this isn't checking out an escapism. This is seeing that, that God is in our midst and learning to enjoy his good gifts is learning to enjoy him. You see, let's take a look at that. God of glory in the physical world that you're set apart, not just from temptation, but for all the things that he wants you to enjoy about what he's created. It says this, verse 3, it's his will that you be sanctified. That just simply means set apart. Set apart to avoid sexual immorality. And he goes on and he talks about how you're wronging each other in the ways that, 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 that you're not, that, that, that the culture around is wronging each other. Even if, even if people aren't married, they're wronging each other because, because you know, probably people who are in this hookup scene are, are expressing their human sexuality in a way that violates that person's future commitment, right? And so he's saying, look, we, I want you to love life. I want you to enjoy your life. I want you to have, to, to, as, as Keats says in his poem, suck the marrow out of life. I want you to, I want you to enjoy everything that I give you. Because in that, I'm glorified. When people see that you're living life to the full, you see? I'm pleading with you this morning to see the vision, this compelling vision that God is offering us life to the full when we live it according to his design. You know, people are beginning to discover this in our culture. You know, I'm sitting here bashing the fact that we're sort of sliding back, defining deviance down the way that Greco-Roman culture was sort of perverse. But, but people are discovering on their own the consequences that God has built in to living apart from his design. And that's a good thing. And, and if you're feeling pinched or ashamed this morning by some of the things I'm saying, listen to what I'm going to say now because you don't need to be feeling ashamed. You need to be feeling inspired. It's never too late to turn from and turn towards. I want you to hear what I'm saying. In the Washington Post last week, there was an article about that, that was questioning, college students questioning the consent culture is what they're calling it. That, that all of human sexuality can be expressed in any way that we want to as long as they're consent. That's the assumption. They're questioning that assumption. Why? Because they have been living by those rules and finding it to be vacuous, empty, hollow. That even though two people uh, jumped into bed together and they both decided that, that, that they, wanted, they wanted what they were about, that they were consenting, fully consenting, that there was an emptiness to it. Why? Because consent, <laughs> consent to leave behind all of the other dimensions of humanity that we're capable of and just to enjoy the part of humanity that we hold in common with the rest of the animal kingdom. Consent does not, does not preserve your humanity and your human dignity. You're lowering yourself 
just to enjoy the pleasure of the moment. And what, what, what that article was saying in the Washington Post is that we're discovering there's something more. There's something missing. There's something hollow about that. You know, so God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in him. He wants us to live in such a way that people can see the abundance of our lifestyle, the fullness of enjoying his good gifts, to live in such a way that we're inspiring people to say, wow, there's something. And this is why I, when, I, when I sit down with couples who are about to get married, even if they've, even if they've already been living together, even if they've already been, you know, they've, they've already been, you know, been uh, knowing each other, as they say in the Old Testament, knowing each other, that, that I challenge them to, to, to abstain for, for a season, that they may begin, begin to embrace this vision again, embrace this vision. That, that commitment begins to open up the security, create this security to be 100% naked, okay? To be naked at every level, emotional, psychological, social, all of it, all of it. To be able to embrace the fullness that God wants us to have as human beings. Created in his image and likeness unashamed you know it's it's kind of hard to wrap your minds around i understand that god is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in him but maybe this morning you've gotten a little glimpse of what it looks like to turn from whatever you've been dabbling in and to turn towards the greater vision of all he wants for you not less than the abundant life let's pray Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, how we thank you for the ways that you fashioned us for life abundant. And we, we are sorry for the ways we've fallen short. But Lord, I pray for the one who's feeling just a sense of sorrow over decisions and embarrassment. Lord, would you lift up their eyes this morning? You're not just the God of second chances. You're the God of new life. Lord, may we embrace it this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.